Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thanks for joining us for another week of Take Two. This is Heidi Hatch with KUTV2 News. You can see me at 5, 6, and 10 p.m. on TV. If you prefer not to look at me, this podcast <laughs> is a great option. Greg Hughes, <laughs> Citizen Hughes, as he calls himself, Citizen former speaker Hughes. of the House, Mara Carabello. Boss Babe from Exoro Group is here. Good to be here. I almost said a different B word. Whoa. (laughs) Friday. I know. Feeling the Fridays. So thanks for being with us. Uh, Every week I keep thinking, you know what, there's going to be a slow week. I've been thinking this for years and it never happens. So Literally years. Years. Every Friday (laughs) without interruption, we always have drama politically. There is drama. But today, um, I guess depending on who you're talking to, it's good or bad drama. But... um, Governor Cox uh, held a COVID briefing, which we haven't had a formal COVID briefing for a while. For at the early stages of the pandemic, I feel like we're having them almost on a daily basis. Today, though, they kind of did the state of the pandemic. We're two years in. Where are we at? And uh, he said that the state's really going to be changing the way we do things uh, March 31st, which is actually sort of in sight. It's a month and a half away. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Mara, do you feel like he's declaring uh, the party over with his new steady state model? Or is this just like, hey, guys, we're going to try to make things better for yeah, you? Yeah, I felt like he declared it over. Now, he specifically said he wasn't declaring it over, so I should give him so that we out. Should say, hey, but I felt like if you read not between over, but it's the over. he said, we're all just done. And we're going to tired. And from now on, we're treating it like a seasonal illness. And I felt like that was pretty much with a period at the end of it. And it's, I mean, there's always something else. But I felt like he has, they have decided that they're done. And and the big thing that he backs that with is they're closing testing centers. They're closing um, what would be considered pandemic probably services. So that was his announcement is that these things won't exist anymore. Do you think the Tribune story that uh, the, the, the quick tests that they had and they were using, they're getting so many false positives and false negatives. So they could have had to discount to them. Do, do you it? think it's, they're just saying, look, we can't even get that. We're not even giving good information out anymore. Do you think that colored the decision at all? I think, yeah, it's, wouldn't that I be frustrating? It, aren't we all just death by a thousand cuts on this? Yeah, I think it was finally, he that. just like declared it. We're not doing it anymore. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, is that, I mean, hopefully at this point, there's been so many people that have had COVID that, I mean, we're getting to the herd immunity that we don't talk about anymore. We're getting close to a million cases that are verified cases of people who've actually gone in and been tested in the state of Utah. And when you have 3.2 million people, that means you can guarantee that a third of them have at least had COVID. We've got 75% that's at least, I think, had one shot of the eligible population. So we really are in... I guess a good place. I know that um, all bad things have not ended, but case counts are going down, hospitalizations are going down, and 
with it, the death should go down too. Well, and as we've talked about before, we've got prevention. If you're into, if that suits you, we've got post. If that suits you, we, we've got. I mean, the healthcare workers, bless them, because I don't think they wanted this learning curve, but I think they've really figured out how and when to treat people at different um, progressive levels. So, I mean, we are so much better equipped to yeah. deal with you, this you disease. You know, a little over a month ago, the, the Democrat governor of Colorado, Governor Paulus, you know, he said, he declared, we're done here. And and he was pretty blunt about it. He said, and he's really one of the first Democrat governors to come out nationally and, and just say this because a lot were still into the mandates and the lockdowns. But he said, look, if you want to get a vaccine, you can get them now. They're not hard yeah. to find. They're not hard right. to get. Uh, masks, we have them. You, you have them. We can do that. We know how to socially distance. We're t- over two years into this. Um, we feel as a state we've done all we can. People just act accordingly. Take the information and act and do what you need to do. But we're not. We're done on our side trying to direct, steer, maintain, contain any of this. And it was – I thought it made perfect sense. You're seeing more and more states – and this sounds political, but I don't know how you, how you bifurcate the politics of the, all this that we've lived through over – you know, since 2020. But – the longer anyone stays with the, uh, we're going to try and contain this virus, and we're going to try and they're they're on the wrong end of this. Yeah, and you're so not going to catch right. this. And so you see you see these states pulling back, Republican and Democrat states pulling back, saying what Governor Paulus from from Colorado has said. And so I I think that um, I I just think that's the natural progression. And if you stay too long in the, we're going to still keep trying to tell you how how we're going to save you from this. It's a losing proposition, and you're going to be out there by yourself it's politically. true and if at this point you don't know what your options are then i don't know what you've been doing the last two years <laughs> exactly right. yeah and the thing is is that i thought it was kind of funny everyone likes to pick onto the line that they love or hate the most you know from a news conference like that and i noticed uh, the salt lake tribune when they tweeted it he used his quote that says there are people who could stand to take this disease a lot less seriously and that's in a week where there's 80 deaths. But at the same time, he said there's a lot of people who, you know, there's both ends. There's people who are triple vax. They're wearing their masks everywhere. They're scared to go out and do anything. And then on the other end, he said there's people who probably are in a high-risk group who haven't done anything to protect themselves. So I get what he was saying. There's a happy medium, and I think we need to all figure yeah, out I mean, how I to think move everyone's on. ready to not ignore it, but to normalize it, right? I mean, I think yeah. what, with the pace we can't keep up is – top of the news all day every day and you are planning your life around this one dimension yeah and i think we can't ignore it and we still need to pay attention but i just think we have to and, normalize and the data things. hasn't changed i don't think it, as drastically as the as the approach is changing i think the data is still out there that there's a lot of hospitalizations i mean we're seeing that, that we're coming down from the omicron variant uh, as other states have ahead of us we're kind of on the other side yeah. of that curve but we're seeing it but it, it's going to be something else next, but I, I, I think what Mara just said is exactly right. Okay, that's that's what we have now. We have this this virus. It's going to take different variants in different ways. It's probably a what they call it an endemic endemic it's an endemic yeah. now, and it's not really going to go away. So. Yeah. So, bottom line, we've all got to be reasonable. <laughs> Act accordingly, and people. Think, yeah, and you can still, if you would like to stay home and you have risks, stay home. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask, and if you're not going to do it, then you know your risks. So. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, uh, that's exciting. I guess I'm always the kind of person that likes a date to look forward to, right. kind of like a vacation yeah. or right. the end of something. So knowing March 31st is coming is, is that, kind is of exciting. Is there some big deal about that date? Why that date? Why not tomorrow? 
Um, I'm impatient. I hate, why, why are we going to make it to the 31st? Maybe they're trying to wait until the numbers really come down off of the, the Omicron spike because, well, cases are complete, like really just dropping off a cliff right now, whether you like to think it's because people are not getting tested anymore or just it's going away. I think <laughs> the death... That has something to do with it. <laughs> yeah. The deaths, um, I think, will take longer because you don't immediately die usually from COVID. Yeah. So He I was think also outlining the service yeah. availability. And so you need to give people a few weeks at okay. least to say hey this center's going away or here's now where you'll get this kind of information and there so are some it. people who really do go get tested multiple times a right. week and so i think it's being like all right here's the end of your the runway go to costco and get yourself a super pack if right. that's something you do to feel comfortable around family and whatnot and if that's what you do that's fine but now you can plan for it uh governor cox has kind of had a big week of out in the spotlight during the <laughs> legislative session doing his own thing uh during his monthly news conference uh he said, we don't miss you to the outdoor retailers, which I thought was interesting, Greg, because they left us over um, a little political upset. Yep. How many years has that even been now? A couple it was of years? 2017. Oh, it's been so longer it's five than years I thought. Ago. So five years ago, and it used to be such a huge show that came here in Utah, brought a lot of money, a lot of people, a lot of attention. And they left because they didn't like the way that Utah politicians were dealing with land issues. And yep. it's still a sticking point. The governor's like, Neener, neener, I don't care. Well, you know, Did that it, surprise it, you? Well, that's the quote, but I think that Governor That was Cox, not an exact quote I'd like yeah, to take Well, the back neener, 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 that's, neener, that part's not. <laughs> no, 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 he actually did a video where he asked them, because their five-year lease with Denver is, is coming yeah. up. Uh, COVID's certainly part of it, but the show is nothing. It's a shell of what it used to be when yeah. it was here. But again, COVID has some a big part of that. So they're looking at other venues. This The company that runs that outdoor retailer convention, they, they're looking at other cities, and so the governor put together a video where he said, hey, we make changes. We've made you know, a lot of improvements to the convention center. Yeah. We'd love to have you back. Um, and so there was a pitch made by Salt Lake City or, and the state of Utah to be considered as the place that they would come back. And then you saw this, you know, Patagonia and REI and all these outdoor retailers who were saying, if it goes back to Salt Lake, we're going to ban it again. I was speaker when this whole ultimatum got handed down by these the, the big tech, the big corporations of outdoor retail universe. And I, they said, and I just said then, and I'm, this is what I think the governor is saying now, look, you're, if you're a corporate citizen, if you want to have input, great, but you're not going to dictate terms. You're not going to say, if you don't change your land policy, we're going to leave. Uh, but like they were saying, they, it, it came in the former, it felt like ultimatums. And it feels even today, fast forward five years, those larger companies that attend that convention are telling the ownership of that convention, if you dare go back to Utah, we're not. We're going to boycott your convention. Right. And Is so, this a game how, of chicken? How I, dare private so I, business what I want, exercise I want, their voice yeah, with the government? Yeah, like, how like, dare they? Like anyone wants us to just listen to corporations and not constituents. I want Patagonia so, and all those outdoor retailers to worry about making coats and carabiners. And we'll let duly elected lawmakers worry about public policy. So How about first, that? First Why don't I wanna, we have those lanes? First, uh, well, public Make policy domain here is the federal government, as we know. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, one of the things I want to take note of, just because I, I, I like the communication around government, is Cox was unusually well. One, he's totally split the baby on this. He yeah, put out right. two like opposite statements almost simultaneously. Yes. One was his usual. We love you. You love me. Let's just find common ground. And then, like two minutes later, unusually churlishly, he was like 
whatevs, man. I don't need you. And it was surprisingly. We just had the spicy nugs. And he was we must yeah. have, because this was a so unusually Cox. Like, I was like, wow, that does not sound like our governor. I think it came in the form of the questions. I think that was his opening line is right. the, let's hug it out. You know, we can all work out. We can work together. And then he got and then they kept, one kept, too many they times. They kept pushing him on it. And he's like, like. But like, where I do think he landed was a place that I recall advocating for when they left five years ago. So I say this as a left of center person in Utah. One of the things I criticize um, the outdoor industry for who shares my point of view is that when you are fighting for your land rights, you don't have that fight in Boulder, Colorado. You have that fight in Utah. And I don't like when people retreat and, and the governor said this, if you really do care and you really want to shape and be a part of, not dictate, but be yeah, a part correct. of the public dialogue, then go to where the dialogue's happening. Don't go to the corners where everyone's like-minded. And so I thought that when they first left, and I, I do want a, a, a classic political note of who started it. Remember, this was at the heels of Governor Herbert being rather sassy. I mean, he was coming out with some pretty strong industry statements where he was backing down the industry. The industry was planning on staying. In fact, Sully County, who owns the venue, had negotiated those. And then the governor, Herbert, really leaned into those. And that's when the outdoor industry got decided to pick a fight. But I even remember when they were picking a fight then, I remember thinking where you make a stance is where things are happening. You go to where the battle is. And so I hope they go come back. Go take an early morning hike with your flag. And, because you know, do a they do have name ID buying power. So bring that buying power and enter our dialogue. If you think we're off base, come and fight the fight here. So, you know, you know I, I wish they would come back. I'm going to give a little behind the curtain look at what was going on in that very moment you know how like the cuban missile crisis we only found out later that bobby kennedy went and negotiated the the missiles out of turkey and that was kind of Mm -hmm. one one of the reasons the standoff uh, didn't get worse and anyway what was happening was during that time where these were pretty inflammatory comments were being made and it feels like ultimatums i was speaker at the time i was saying there is room for dialogue and we should and i think everyone even a corporate citizen has the right to have their their opinions on on policy be known. However, it isn't a, you know, do it as we say, or we're going to walk out of here and you'll suffer the consequence type of conversation. So when they were saying that we, the state of Utah and taxpayers, we put money every single year into that convention. We were go-ed, governor's, then governor's office of economic development. They were paying for those big tents over the surface parking because lots. Because it was a huge economic because benefit. It, and it, made it wasn't all the, the public service. No, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't altruistic and it yeah. wasn't charitable. It made perfect economic yeah. sense to do yeah. it. However, with the tone that was going on, they were at that time asking for more money for the upcoming show. They wanted 400000 more. We just took the line item out completely. And said, well, right. look, it's so hostile. You guys are so mad. You think Utah's so bad. We'll just go ahead and take that line item right out of the budget completely. Governor Herbert's office called us and so said. So you punish them for their speech. That's so we, I like to we didn't punish them. It's just like, why? How? It's, it's just an abusive relationship if you're there trying right. to help and, and so they're out there attacking. Punished but, them. but the governor's office asked us to, re, to restore Pretty, that. Yeah. Uh, so that can so that discussions could continue, hopefully productively, but they didn't because right. at the end of the day they hung up the phone on the governor in mid sentence, and I don't think they ever called back. No, and he was sassy too. I mean, that's what's interesting yeah. about this. There's a real flashpoint. I mean, there's a real ideological difference. It's been going on for years, and Utah has long been the flashpoint. Uh, but again, back to this week, it was 
Interesting to watch Governor Cox do both sides of the argument within moments of each other. And again, I would be an advocate. I would be on Patagonia and REI's side ideologically, but I would ask them to come join the fight as opposed to retreating to Colorado. I feel like they're itching to come back too. Colorado's a nice state. I like Colorado. I've been to Colorado. But... Utah, there's a reason why they wanted to be here in the first place. I mean, we've got the mighty five. We've You can fly into Salt Lake, you can go in the mountains, yeah. you can do your trade show at a lake. Well, the Great Salt Lake's getting smaller, and so the rest are lakes. But there was a reason why they came here, right. and I'm pretty sure they use their vacation dollars here, and they come test their um, coats and carabiners, as Greg says. So yes. they may as well just come here for the show, and like you said, you know. Fight the fight. Fight Buy all the airtime. Yeah. And and they said that it would be the end of our uh, convention industry, and there was a lot of uh, doom and gloom predicted. Utah's done well. I mean, we have a lot of we have a lot of bookings. We have a lot of conventions. Uh, So I don't think I don't think I don't I don't I don't argue that. But to the extent that you would start to direct your public policy strictly to their, you know, their dictates because that's how they want it or they won't come uh, we're just not there i, I don't I think just i don't think anyone no would want the people allowed. i don't I, think anyone want public servants to just i just want make it. decisions based on comments What's, like what that. is the date today the 18th mm, yeah. just, I guess I could so let's just yes. mark today remember this moment of dictating okay. when the rnc wants us to sweeten the deal to bring the convention here yeah i don't want to i don't want the convention I'm just here. like let's have a you moment. don't Mm-mm. Why? I oh, you be don't fun. because you think. Yeah, you, Greg has a. I'd two like to have the RNC make a and double. the DNC here in the next mm. few years, but I know that mm. they'll never. I don't know if they'll never come, but we'll see. Nah, Why do you hate them so much? No, I just. I'd rather have it in a swing state. I'd rather have it in Ohio or a state that's in the uh, a state that is up for grabs during the presidential. I'm guessing election. that's probably Greg where they're leaning. Too much Trump in Utah will like yeah, over I do, Trump. If Utah, Trump is I know nominee, you will. There's a lot of lot of we'll turn Utahns that it. will. Evan McMillan is well. Utah was already in the 16th convention, kind of a spectacle in terms of its anti-Trump delegation that came to the convention in 16. I don't want any part of of normality. I was there. It was so exciting. I don't want any part of that in Utah in 20. <laughs> the centrists are the worst. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> we'll be watching to see what happens. I'll be interested to see how that goes. But before we leave our Cox segment, which has already lasted 17 minutes, if you're listening, Governor, you've got one more here. That we're <laughs> Busy, going, this is that a we're doozy, this one. This about. next one has really got a lot of attention. Yeah, no, yeah. I think this is interesting. But Governor Cox uh, signed on to a letter addressing the Canadian trucker protest. He signed with 15 other Republican governors, so 16 in all, which is not even half the states, but 16 governors and two Canadian premiers uh, saying, okay, to both Biden and Trudeau, let's let the truckers go. Let's let them work. Let's skip the vaccine mandate and let's keep the products moving and onto our shelves. Uh, Greg, you start on this one. Um, is Was this a good idea? Absolutely. And and this this isn't even the big one. There's one more after this one that we have to talk about that, Ooh, that he mentioned. We've got more cock But segments. I will say that on that, on that note, there's some scary things going on in uh, in Canada right now. They closed Parliament. They didn't let them. They were going to vote on removing these vaccine mandates. Uh, they closed Parliament under a state of emergency. Uh, they're telling people to not be on the streets. I, I I don't know what Justin Trudeau's end game here is and the way they're acting, but I feel there's like enough shutting video. down bank accounts without yeah, like any warnings of any sort. Seizing the bank accounts. There's enough video of what is really going on with these truckers, with people that are supporting them. Uh, the food that they're actually providing for people, the narratives that you're hearing and the speeches that you're hearing from government leaders in Canada fundamentally don't match what's happening on the ground. And they can't contain that. They can try, but you can see with your eyes 
uh, what those the, the convoy looks like, what the protest looks like. It's very peaceful. But you would think that it was – I mean, they didn't – Canada there didn't call a state a of few, emergency in 9-11. Like a few people they on the fringes that I think a state of emergency when, when parliament was invaded by someone with a gun, a, a, a terrorist that, w- that was shooting the place. They didn't call the state of emergency. What they're calling a state of emergency on right now and all the things that are happening, I mean, talk about when you're in a hole, quit digging. I, I think it's getting worse and worse, worse and worse in Canada, and I think that this letter from – uh, are the governors of this country and premiers in, in Canada? It's just a plea for everybody to simmer down, settle down. Let's 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 stop. Does that this. make any so sense to you, Mara? For all of our Canadian listeners, which I think there are, yeah, I'm a sure lot, there's a lot. I just want to point out, that despite your proximity to America, I recognize that you're a sovereign nation and probably don't need another <laughs> nation to help you govern. The arrogance of sort of instructing to another nation. Now, I'll give some it's room Canada. in that it was. Of course, this is exactly. This is sort of I knew joint, you would illustrate yeah, for me the attitude. Yeah, monopoly but money's worth. It's more. a joint statement because I'm just uh, because there. the U.S. and Canada have an agreement and they're speaking to the agreement but we have continued as greg has illustrated for us to directly criticize trudeau of which frankly there's a little bit of an american arrogance to that i will say who really likes what trudeau is doing is the trucking association in canada and he's taken bold moves and he's done these things not of all of which that I agree with, but at well, the same time, the trucker association I, must not be supportive of their truckers. Then, I because think the that America are, needs to be, we, we spend no time learning about anybody else and we spend a whole lot of time criticizing. And if you reverse this and there were uh, governors and elected officials from Mexico saying, wagging their fingers at us, telling us what to do, the umbrage we would take would be incredible. So I think it's right. It's about the mutual agreement. It's about goods movement and flow to the U.S. I'm not I'm not lacking the understanding of yeah. it. But the tone, I would think, once again, was very American, let us tell you what to do, because apparently we've handled COVID better. I mean, hmm. But the one thing yeah. that I think is insane at this point is these truckers – the ones they've who are blocked. protesting, they've blocked and they're not vaccinated. They're not going to get vaccinated. And we've been uh, not just allowing them, but wanting them to, to keep our economies going for the last right. two years. They've been allowed into the country. And now all of a sudden, when cases are dropping off, most people are vaccinated. Even if you're vaccinated, you can get COVID, whether you're, you know, either way. It just seems weird to me that we're going to be like, you know what? You know, you're not allowed across our border because at this point they're no more dangerous than anyone else else because everyone can spread COVID. So at some point it feels like this is just sort of like a flipping the bird and sticking it to the man kind of situation. And I'm like, do we need to stick it to the man? Because store shelves, while are not like gutted and empty here, there's issues. I went to Sprouts downtown last night and I tend to run there sometimes at eight o'clock at night to grab a few things. And I noticed their produce is empty a lot. And I was asking, I was just like, is it because I'm coming so late? And they said, no, before the pandemic, we'd get five trucks in. And then in the last couple of years, we get three trucks in. So sometimes we have produce to put out. Sometimes Sometimes we don't. don't. Now, I don't think that we're getting our strawberries or, you know, our fresh produce at this point from Canada. But it just goes to show you that we're probably at a point where we're still trying to build back up and locking truckers out on either side of the border it's probably going to cause more problems, more. So the last thing on that this press conference, which we've taken most of this program to, I know. to Look speak at us. about, wild. is the promised veto of the, mm. uh, of the, Wondered what the parental choice and education, the HOPE scholarship uh, bill that's uh, in oh, the so House. Oh, so you're ready to the jump to the bill? legislative session well, he here pro- in the great state of Utah. Yeah, he promised in that. Mm. Well, the, he was asked very directly in the, by a reporter, if that bill hits your desk, will you veto it? And his answer was... 
he thought for a second and he went, yeah, yeah, I will. I'll veto it. And so that surprised a lot of people. He represented himself when he was running for governor as a, a supporter of parental choice and education. And that could still be the case with it, whether it be your traditional public schools or charter schools. And there's a way to wordsmith what parental choice and education means. But I think some people thought that these vouchers that would be directed to kids who qualify for free and reduced lunch, they're in the pe- their family incomes in the federal poverty level, uh, giving them a, a voucher or through a scholarship to be able to go to a private school would have fit in that category. And he's saying that unless teachers are receiving higher salaries of $60,000 or more, he will veto that parental choice. The governor is spot on here. This is like him being a true independent centrist here. He, um, I do think he supports many of the more conservative points of view, but he is right. This is a poorly worded bill. This takes the most blunt object you could take to give. I think at the end of the day, what the goal everyone shares is a certain amount of individualization in, in um, schools. So kids mm-hmm. b- are able to go to places they thrive in schools. If that's the ultimate goal, voucher, or as you like to call them now, scholarships, but I'm going to go ahead and call if it walks like a duck. And so the voucher program is just the most blunt force object to use it. The other thing that it doesn't consider is the promise of American education is a collective promise. It operates. And we act like the weighted pupil unit has some exchange with an individual family, right? Like that I put in and I took out. That's actually not how it works. And we shouldn't view it that way. And so one of my problems with it is not the goal it's trying to achieve, but in fact, it's just a blunt object. So If you're going to tell me that I have to have these parents have more choice than me, the taxpayer, for whom the money they're spending is mine, Mm -hmm. it may not be one for one theirs. So you're taking my tax dollars, my collective tax dollars, and you're treating them as though they literally own this weighted pupil unit. I say if you want to give choice in this way, then create a new fund in which you apply and you have criteria, much that this bill outlines. Maybe it is... Um, proportionately given via income. If what you want to do is allow kids to have the individualized attention that a parent thinks they may need. But to take away from the promise of a collective education system, which is what America has had, and to treat the weighted pupil unit as though it's money in, money out, well then also, where did you decide at this moment that parent X should have better judgment with my tax dollars than me. Can I do this for my grandchild? Can I do this for my community? Because most of the money they're spending, that parent is largely spending money that non-parents contributed. So we've ceded the so control of decision-making away. I like where you're going. Away. I, I like know, where I mean, you're going, I, but I'm going to expand what you're saying. Utah's a unique state for a couple of reasons. One, how many children per taxpayer we have is a little higher. Our, our, right. hum, Heavily our subsidizing rate, okay. families here. Uh, we also have a unique uh, relationship between the predominant faith, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and its seminary buildings, and its relationship with public schools, where okay. one of the periods of the school day can be a day where the students can go across the street, okay. go to seminary. Every other state, you see stronger public-private uh, school systems that are parochial because okay. there isn't this connection that we have uniquely in Utah with seminaries and the predominant faith with our public schools. So with a high birth rate and with that description I just had of, of parochial involvement in public schools that's unique, we, the state of Utah's public education system is educating 97% of those school-age children, K through 12, Great. okay? I think on the broader view of a taxpayer who's depending on an educated workforce, 
if I look at other states where 10 to 12% of students of that age group from 5 to 17 years old or 18 years old uh, are not going into our public education system, but their taxes that are being paid are going into the public education system, Agreed. it is improved. So I find no budget advantage to capture 97% of these school-age children or to, or to demand that it be even more. If we had a way, a pathway for students, and we gave them by way of that voucher or that scholarship less money than we would have paid for that student, we leave more money in that system. To your point, Mara, about the system belonging to all of us, it is, it is, the math is right to say if there are less kids, but mon- the money's coming in, but you have less kids, you have to better. spend it. Right. There's more money for those students. Right. So why not have pathways to get our you Utah should, schools? You should, and you should create those additional to the, funds. To the, to the if, percentage if that, want, that private schools deliver education to kids in other states. It's, it's, if it's you not want an a flex account, to public ed. If you want a flex account, if you want to provide choice, mm-hmm. grow the pie. And so just grow the pie and add the choice. But it, this is diminishing because we more proportionately rely on non-parental tax dollars, if you will. So you're reinstructing my tax dollar and my kid's not in the system. And that's not equity. And so I now, think... Now you're getting provincial with your tax dollars. We we just agreed that the, that we want that that fund to have as much money. Right. But for, I'm saying all the kids, whether I, I, I there are kids or not. I just right? described what I believe the voucher system does. So if oh. what we're trying to provide is choice, this this portability mm-hmm. based on an individual child, let's grow that. Then let's set aside a special fund and you can apply for that special fund. It's all tax dollar driven. So it's not. And, and we do know, I know last year and the year before we've had a decrease, but we have year over year had income increases. And so if we grow the income tax and set aside an additional fund, the weighted pupil unit, the math stays the same for the public schools, which mm-hmm. is what we're both saying. Just grow the pie. Grow the pie and have it be, I don't know. And if you're talking about the, So who could use the, it? Anyone or just someone so who was... I think right now, they, what you want to avoid... With and a we, low income. We, we went through a voucher battle when I was a lawmaker right. over 10 years, maybe 11 years ago. Um, longer than that, maybe. It was like 07, so yeah. mm-hmm. it's been a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um But the biggest criticism of that bill in hindsight was that it would eventually, if you had a child in a public, a private school, you weren't eligible for the the voucher. But at some point, kids were born and they go to, you know, they get to that school age. And it was the case that that voucher could have paid for someone who would have already been going to a private school anyway. So when you means test it, when you, when you, when you direct this voucher to those families who wouldn't have those options, those educational options otherwise, I think that is a way to uh, leave more money in the system. If you gave them a smaller amount than you believe you would have paid had they stayed in the system, a smaller amount than that to be able to pursue uh, uh, education in a private school. Why can't you sever the portability issue? If you want to give individual parents individual choices and you want the taxpayer to pay for individual parent choices, then sever it. Hold harmless. I don't don't argue that. Hold harmless the education fund. Leave it as it is. If it's the income tax, I I wouldn't argue that. And then make more money, put more money in to a separate fund because if if the value is I want to support individual parent choices with taxpayer dollars, if that's yeah. the value you're trying to prescribe to, then create more of a fund. Put more we, government we money in. We kind of did that with charter schools for a while. We did. We, I mean, that was the charter was supposed that. to be the fake yeah. private school. And that's why, but what I object to they changed is it though. we went back to the drawing board, right? We went yeah. back to the toolbox. Mm-hmm. And this current bill, while I like the sponsor, this current bill rattled around in the bottom of the toolbox and bought the brought out the oldest 
rustiest, most useless mallet. Like this takes us back <laughs> in policy so. steps I love, I love the bill. a long way. It's I, a clunky it bill, and I hope the governor, if it makes it to his desk, because I, I think we're up for the policy discussion of taxpayers underwriting yeah. individual choice. But let's be clear: it's individual parents asking for an additional subsidy. It's 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 people wanting bigger government. When would they talk about a voucher program? Already get, there I are, thought it was interesting too, though, that it sounded to me like the money could go to money. a stay-at-home mom that was um, homeschooling, homeschooling her kids. And what was the subsidy? Let's say six thousand a kid, and you've got five kids as a stay-at-home mom. All of a sudden, you're making thirty thousand dollars. I was like, shoot, I'm going to have some more kids. The other thing that it doesn't approach at all that it has to deal with is what do you do with religious schools? Are you going to fund religious schools? Got to be careful there. And I know, no, I mean, like I that's yeah. a big problem yeah, because most is. of Utah's alternative schools usually the are Catholic, Catholic system. Yeah, and the, because Catholic parochial system, as Greg mentioned, it's has in, been around for two hundred and fifty years. It has, and one of the and so most of most of those are Catholic alternatives and how do you bifurcate that? And then the other problem they don't address, although we are using them as um, uh, as broad examples for this bill, is that in many cases, even with the suggested subsidy, um, if you were in the wrong economic group, you still actually couldn't reach a level in which you could afford the education you wanted to port to. Right. Well, some of those private schools would offer scholarships that would make All of them the differences, do. right? Yeah. So All they, of them so there's a, And there's, then the parochial school, the Catholic I, school system offers more scholarships than the state does The one far. thing that I was hoping is that when I was in the legislature and we were talking about this issue is I didn't want just a snapshot of how many or how few private schools we have in Utah now because we know we're so far under the national average. Yeah. But if you had more uh, children, students, families empowered where they had some choices, maybe there would be that market demand where maybe. you could see more private schools that would, be, that would come online to meet that demand. And again, that would leave the math, is, the math, I'm telling you, it would leave more money in that system because you're not trying to capture every 5 to 18-year-old that lives in the state of Utah into our public school system. There's no advantage to that. You don't fund to a higher level when you're demanding that every kid – Go in through your public school system. You, it's not a bad thing to have ten percent of your student population going to private schools. It would leave more money in there because maybe we all the pay Church the taxes. of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, who has apparently like just joined the public school system, maybe they could just pay into that more since they're running hybrid. Actually, when you mm, if you send the kids idea. for a period of day, they actually are. Uh, contributing to education. I guess you need fewer fund. teachers technically, I guess, because you've got seven periods that's a day. A, that's, that would be a I, hard I, I, policy can I, let's talk. I'm going to talk would... process for a second. I can't stand... All right, I'm giving 30 more seconds Okay, sorry, I know topic. this is super boring, but... I'm timing. When I, hear, when I hear someone say, and I've heard this from lawmakers, well, we better get 50 votes in the House and two-thirds of a vote in the Senate 2021, because uh, if we don't, the governor is going to veto it. Your threshold, the, the, the majority, in, the constitutional majority in the House is 38. The constitutional majority in the Senate is 15. You go through your process. You pass that bill. And if the governor likes it, he signs it. If he doesn't like it, he vetoes it. But don't let it color your process in the legislative side that if you've had a governor that promises a veto, you're not, you think, oh, I, now I have to get two-thirds. I have to get a veto-proof majority to pass it. I wouldn't let that that play into the process. I would I would legislative branch does their process. Oh, executive branch does theirs. Oh, well amen. Done. Huh? Third amen says you that agree. Was I was just trying to make it end. I don't know that I agree with what you said, but those were some good <laughs> yeah. thoughts. Yes. Don't confuse staying on time. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> I okay. Hit 30 seconds. So we got to move on to another topic that I think interestingly enough on the school issues hasn't received as much attention as the Hope scholarship or the school vouchers. But um, House Bill 193, which is full-day kindergarten, actually unceremoniously and 
quickly passed uh, the House yesterday, which I think is interesting because there's only a very small amount of kids here or percentage in Utah that I think it's below 30% that can go to a full-day kindergarten. And I think a lot of people see the value in it. Uh, Where would this money come from, Mara? Is it going to work? Is it going to pass? I think it looks like it's going to pass. It feels like it's maybe an issue that's that's timing is right because we've talked about this a lot. Mm -hmm. There's some important components. It's not mandatory. I mean, it it has, you can choose it or not. Um, From parents to school systems, there's a lot of flexibility in making that fit. They have, I think, three years to integrate it. So part of where I think the success in this bill is there's a lot of choice still within communities about either how it's implemented or who has to go. And I think those components of um, individual community decision-making has made this a pretty viable bill. Yeah. Yeah, I I think the empathy amongst uh, the public has grown, which also then helps lawmakers who represent constituencies understand this issue better. We haven't had K through 12 all day. We haven't had all day K through 12, let alone all day K, uh, over the last three school years because of the remote learning, because of the issues we've gone through. If it hasn't been highlighted that there are single parents out there that don't have the option of having their kids at home uh, or two working parents that don't have the option of being home, or this is being felt and has been felt now for three school years, it, it does highlight the fact that, that in the kindergarten, it's such a unique model that half the day is at school. What happens when, and when we say when half you have, a day? We mean, we mean like two, two hours. hours. <laughs> yeah, it's two and a half a hours. You're right. So, <laughs> so what what do these parents do that car. where they you know they they work and they're not at home all day? And how does that work? I I just think that the some of the the lack of all day K through twelve makes the argument for all day K uh, stronger. And I do like that there's options because I think even in the same household, sometimes with different kids, you know, you need different yeah, things. I think true. of my daughter, I never sent her to kindergarten. She went to the stupid half-day kindergarten that was really two hours <laughs> and wasted a lot of my life. And she didn't need the kindergarten. I liked having her at home because of my working hours. And then my youngest, he needed all-day kindergarten. We'd move from Florida and they have pre-K paid for and they go to school and coming back to Utah, the whole idea of sending him to school for two hours was just like, wah, 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 after that, he needed it. So I liked that there's options. I didn't go to kindergarten. Is that a, am I a poster child for kindergarten? I think or you turned out most. Yeah, okay. you are the case study they used to show kids needful. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought that's what that you think. That I thought you exactly think that. your path could have drastically changed <laughs> yes. with that extra. Maybe I'd have been a. You could have been somebody. Craig. I would have been a left wing <laughs> wacko if I just went to kindergarten. That's what you're saying. Well, right. I don't know. That's what we're saying at all. <laughs> hey, uh, one thing that's driving me nuts during this session, and maybe it's just because I work in an industry that really likes access to information, but uh, media access has been limited uh, in the Senate earlier this week. I believe there's one more vote needed for uh, media to be on the floor. We've also got bills changing things where you have to make a grandma request. If you don't know what a grandma request is, it's like the national FOIA request to get government documents. And I feel like there's several bills right now. I don't even know all the numbers where they're making it harder for information to see the light of day. And I just think that's bad government accountability. Mara, I is there reason for this, or is this just bad garbage? Well, Greg's going to have to tell us the reason, because I'm not sure. They're rather tedious, right? They're not they're not epic bills that change. They're more they're like, you have to stand little, here for 20 minutes, yes. and you have to get a permission slip. Um, certainly the access bill, it, it, and to that point, it doesn't... It, it doesn't cut off access. It just requires you to get permission at several levels, which I, I suppose could cut off access. Mm-hmm. But um, it's really tedious. So it makes me think it doesn't have a lot of policy chops, but rather the media is annoyed more or has been 
um, unduly. I mean, I, I, I think it is a true access issue. I would always fall on the side of access. And particularly things like one of the big changes is that you'll have to ask the committee hair, chair before the committee starts if you can stand behind them and film during that. The reason camera guy, people stand behind is that that's the shot of the people testifying. So yeah. they're not trying to stand behind the lawmaker. They're trying to get a good shot of the people speaking to the lawmakers. That seems really like a little juvenile to have the committee chair. I can't see a committee chair refusing that request. I see them saying yes. And it when, when you put play, things like that, they seem like power plays. And I never suggest that an elected official who's a public servant is well suited to make a power play like that with the media because I do think the media is the fourth Do branch. they just hate the media up there? Is that what the problem no, I, is? I, I think that there's the been a change in the relationship between the members of the media and the legislature. There, it was a, I, I felt when I was elected my first session in 2003, um, the, the good reporters, uh, Deseret News, Salt Lake Tribune, the, even the television journalists that would be up oh, there. Oh, even. Mm-hmm. When I say even, it's because they're... they're, they're even I don't know. They got to have they got to have a camera with them, so it's a little bit more it is awkward than the journalists that are on the floor can approach you, uh, just to get a quote on a story they're writing. But a lot of that was relationship based. A lot of it was, you know, if I felt like my quote was accurate and I felt like my 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 answer was conveyed the way I meant it, then I'm willing to talk to you again because I think there's I do want to be understood. Uh, there's a lot more. I think the relationship between journalists and Elected officials is more adversarial now, and I believe that this, these circumstances, and this isn't a law. This, these are the rules of the Senate. To resolution, yeah, yeah, that they're considering. It is because they believe there there have been occasions of eavesdropping, where there have been access to the floor or cameras behind the dais of the of the committee room, where they are looking at what's on the lawmakers uh, in front of them, what notes they're taking, mm. and that there's been uh, secret comments, codes comments stolen. or. Things that are happening that were not part of a an interview or that relationship building between the journalists that want to get to the bottom of the story and want to ask questions, but more that they were being uh, that their privacy was invaded and they were being listened to or what you know there there be there are things that in front of them can't you the just cut them out filmed. by not doing the interview? I agree with you. I mean, journalism has changed. I so can that's, understand that's, that's, that too. That's I don't the like gotcha journalism. No, Jur- journalism the, has changed, and you're dealing with. I mean, one of the big changes we see in working with. Um, media is that you're working with some people who have 10 minutes on a subject and before you worked with those beat reporters and they had as many years on the subject I mean we had the bandwidth to have a reporter Mm -hmm. just cover a county council the whole time and so their level of understanding of nuance was incredibly high and that's gone I mean most most are churning out a bunch of stories a day and working on a, a lot of deadline but it used do, to, do you think my, restriction is the way to do this? Well, I just think they don't want to be. They don't want the gotcha stuff. I think that they just want to. They don't want to have someone standing listening to their conversation that they're not aware of. Which is understandable. I mean, if somebody were to like stand by my desk all day long and hear some of the things I said, they might be things that I would not want <laughs> in the media. Not so that I'm ever it's inappropriate. A, it's but like any other relationship. Just, I really do think that there's there's trust that you can build, and there's there you can be. Incre- I I can tell you. I could name for you. The journalist who I wouldn't subscribe to their politics necessarily. One I know is politics because he was he tried very hard not to have poli- you know political persuasion when he was a reporter, but he's a he's a opinion. You know, okay, we know who now. that is now. Yeah, we okay. Like, he was a hard yeah. worker. He Rhymes was incredibly with. no. It was it was Robert Gerke, Gerke the turkey. We know. So um, anyway, he <laughs> uh, he worked so so hard um, to really get 
all sides. He, 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 he was very thoughtful. And if I said, Hey, I feel like there's a editorial tone. He would really look at what I was talking about. And, and he want conscientiously wanted to call balls and strikes. Um, I would argue that Bob Burnick was that way and that he understood the process so well. He knew when to ask me, he'd know that I'd just been in a joint Senate house leadership okay. meeting. And he was one of the only reporters on the Hill that said he just had a meeting. Yeah. Anything worth talking? I mean, he would. He's he a would, remarkable uh, understanding. An ama- so his questions were so direct, so succinct to what I was doing that any reporter could have looked and oh, these are out there. But he was good at that. So th- the more a journalist puts that kind of work in and then builds that relationship with those that they're covering or the news that they're covering, I think they're going to be better at their job. Their access is going to grow. If it's adversarial from beginning to end. You get rules like you're seeing in the Senate that's being passed right now. All right. Everyone's in timeout. We're not going to discuss this, but the death penalty uh, bill was killed in committee. It's dead at this point, so we will have to discuss. That seems wrong to say that bill's dead. Um, That death penalty bill has been tabled. And uh, we will have to wait and see what happens next. But it did get more light in conversation than I think any of us expected. So that's happening. Uh, The vaccine passport bill passed out of House Committee. We'll be watching that one. And uh, I'm going to let Mara go first on this one real quick because we're, like, running low on time. And I know that you're a low – you drink high caffeine drinks but low hard seltzer drinks. So – yeah, I don't have. Does this make sense what they're trying to do? The seltzer. So this yes. is taking some seltzers based on I think like what kind they are, the the mix of them. So I think it's certain berry flavors off the shelves. This is just so stupid is what it is. This is like Utah <laughs> being stupid again. And I I'm not even fighting the restrictions of alcohol. I'm just saying like this is just stupid. It's it's small ball, it's weird stuff. It doesn't Nobody thinks it gets anywhere. This is just bureaucracy. Um, this isn't about drinking and driving. This isn't about a big issue. This is just about the tedium that is Utah liquor laws. And and again, I mean, if your goal is to restrict liquor, I'm not even speaking to that. I'm just speaking to like big government. It, 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 it has a foothold in DABC. The other thing I will just politicize is DABC is is – the Department of something. Alcohol and Beverage Control mm-hmm. is proposing a name change so that it's the Department of Alcohol and Beverage Services, I think, or something with an S that's nicer than control, because apparently we want to be kinder and gentler about government taking away the free market system here <laughs> and controlling people's private choices. So I guess a name change, we're getting on board with some PR here at the Capitol. We right. always think that Utah is the worst liquor laws, but Pennsylvania, which is you know a, a drinking town with a football problem, or Pittsburgh is, mm-hmm. Pen- P- Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is, uh, you can't buy beer any supermarket or fast food play or uh, convenience store, you have to go to a beer distributor to buy it, which, by the way, means you buy in bulk, and that's why they do drink mm. a lot of it. You get a keg. We but have, Greg. I, I will tell you this. We, I will match our liquor laws against any southern county in the great United yeah. States. I think I think or, ours are a lot more open than people would imagine if you look at some of the other ones in other states. But I'll say this. Okay, wait. I just Pe- want the non-drinkers like to talk beer. more about Listen, this. Listen, I want young people <laughs> don't like beer, okay? They don't like it. There's calories involved. There's everything else. So the, so the beer, Anheuser-Busch and all of the others, they, they are now going to, they're seltzers. responding to the mar- market with seltzer, zero calories, things like that. I think, actually think, think that White what Claw. they've, yeah, I think actually what they are bringing in into the same convenience stores and supermarkets that they used to bring in their beer, but they're now providing this new product. 
I don't know that it ever complied with law, to be honest with you. I this think is there about a, a specific a ingredient snafu. in some of them. There's a, there's a, I think that this, this was done and it was actually, I don't, I think there's, there was a problem when they change products. I don't know that it was that we have laws that contemplated that. And there's a, there's a problem there that they're trying to address. Right. I it's love a, going but to it's the, about an yeah. ingredient. My favorite is yeah. going to the grocery store and all the signs on them, because I, I don't know if they just don't <laughs> realize that like maybe some parents may not realize that there's aisles with alcohol on them and they're trying to describe to you that these hard seltzers are not LaCroix for the boys with a little bit of alcohol in there you know just like just you know if you get this for your son's eighth birthday party yeah. don't bring it to the football game yeah hand so, it out to the tights I know and I have so much more I want to talk about but you guys we've already gone 47 minutes so I feel like we're gonna have to cut it off I had all these national issues I wanted to get to behind the scenes drama but the good news is we're gonna meet again next Friday and I'm sure some of this drama will still be alive and well and happy President's Day. Yes, happy President's Day to everyone. Um, how are you going to be um, enjoying your day, Greg? Um, just re- revering our presidents the whole day. That's no, really what you should I, be doing. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't make plans on holidays. I just like to hang out. You just kind of yeah. live in your sweatpants. That's yep. good. That's how I like to roll. Greg, uh, Marta, and how about you? I don't even want to say. I mean, I'm sure I'll do something Secret. fun, but I'm not going to lie. I'm going to work part of the day. Mm. That's why I can't say, because I don't want to be that person, but I, I am going to work part of the day. I think that's acceptable. Okay. You're the boss lady. Okay. You can tell yourself what you want to do. <laughs> I'm driving down for the fastest trip. I'm leaving at 5 in the morning to St. George tomorrow for a soccer tournament. Nice. And most of the games are happening Monday when all the snow and rain's coming in. Yes. But I have to be back for two news at 10 o'clock on Monday. Ooh. So be watching very closely to see if I make it back. Right. So. Watch Careful on that drive. Traffic there reports. Actually, Monday they do are calling for I have inc- heard inclement that. weather. I know, so I'm kind of nervous. Want to take a plane. I know, but it's a Sunday soccer tournament, and, or a, a, what do you call it? A Utah soccer tournament. So there's no games on Sunday, which is going to be a beautiful day for soccer, but we can't play because it's yeah. Utah. So we're going to play them Monday's on Monday. going to be a challenge. I know, so I'm not looking forward to that. So uh, that's my weekend. I'm going to stay in a house with about uh, 15 teenage boys, and we're going to par. Jeez. Hey. <laughs> Good luck with yeah. that. I haven't decided if I'm the tough mom or the fun mom yet. I'll let you know next yeah, week. let us know. Thanks for joining us. Uh, tell your friends about us. Give us a like, and we will talk to you next week.